Welcome back to Humans of Purpose, the weekly podcast featuring conversations with local purpose-driven leaders, leaders creating social impact through their work and fostering in a new era of social progress. We want you to listen, connect, and grow with us. Learn more at humansofpurpose.com. We started focusing on produce. So our business itself is around native um, Australian produce and increasing awareness, affordability, and accessibility of native Australian produce. The work that we're doing along the way um, it, it is very meaningful and it is having a significant impact on the individuals that are involved. So, for instance, we've mentioned kakadu plum. Our kakadu plum sourcing, so we source our kakadu plum almost exclusively from Indigenous Australians. Those are the inspiring words of Hayley Bleeden. Hayley is founder and managing director at the Australian Superfood Co. The Australian Superfood Co. aims to share with the world Indigenous Australians' traditional knowledge and expertise about the cherished fruits of their land. This was a fun conversation with Hayley, and we traversed the windy story of setting up this incredibly successful and impactful enterprise. There's a lot to admire about Australian Superfood Co. and how they are working with Indigenous farmers to empower them to cultivate and share amazing foods with a wider market. If you watched any of this season of MasterChef and recall the lengthy discussion of Davidson Plum, well, these were some of Hayley's delicious and exotic ingredients. Humans of Purpose is now 100% community-powered with our generous Patreon supporters, enabling me to cover the majority of my monthly costs of production. As always, a big thank you to our generous community of supporters, including Humanism, Clyde, Susie, Kynan, Deb, Sue Kay, Carmen, Misha, Jasmine, Sue P, Joel H, Levi, Jules, Sally, Will, B, Lyndon, Olivia, Joe, McCartan, Joel F, and Stuart. You can become a monthly Patreon supporter today for as little as the price of a single cup of coffee at $4. Of course, you can support us at whatever level you like. We recorded this conversation a few weeks ago during Stage 4 lockdown. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Hayley as much as I did. So welcome to the podcast, Hayley. It's great to be with you. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure. Look, I would love to talk about all things food, um, Aboriginal food, um, getting back to our rich history of uh, food. Um, but I think maybe the best place to start is to get a bit of a, a sense as to your journey into the space and how you came up with the idea for Australian superfoods and uh, and how you launched out into the world. Um, it, it is quite the journey. It's one where, well, I, I've always been really passionate about health and wellbeing. And after, you know, I was that kid in year nine that when people said, what do you want to be when you grow up? I knew exactly that I wanted to study nutrition and dietetics and I wanted to help people feel the best that they could feel through um, what what they eat. And I think that we all know the impact of, of what you eat and how it makes you feel and how it can make you, you perform and um, and also the impact that food can have on the world and, you know, travel miles and all the different impacts from environmental, social um, and health and wellbeing. And so I studied nutrition and dietetics when I finished uni and I learned a lot about the body. I learned a lot about how to make sick people better. And very quickly I realised that there has to be another side. There has to be, we should be approaching this from how to make healthy people better and avoid sickness. And so that's that's the angle I went when I graduated dietetics. I went and um, furthered my studies and um, um, specialised in sports dietetics and then went to work at the North Melbourne Football Club. Um, and at the North, that was really um, one of my first exposures to native superfoods and native foods in general. Um, before that, if you asked me what um, 
what Australian cuisine is or what 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 do we celebrate as Australians as as our foods? I probably would have said Vegemite and Lamingtons. <laughs> And that really disturbed me. But there is nothing wrong with Vegemite, let's be honest. uh, There's nothing wrong with Vegemite and there's nothing wrong with Lamingtons. In fact, (laughs) if you can infuse Australian native produce into both of those, you're on to a winner. Uh, Um, Absolutely. So I was working, I worked at North and I was working with Indigenous players and, you know, they'd go home and they'd be talking about um, the foods that they were eating when they were at home. And I was quite embarrassed to, as a food expert, as a dietitian that specialises in food, that I didn't know what, I didn't know most of these foods. And that started my journey. You know, I kind of just started looking into the, the the produce, where it comes from, how it's harvested and how what it does for the body. What are the nutrients in these foods? Because, but, you know, we're seeing imported superfoods from all over the world. We're seeing camu camu from South America being imported for vitamin C content. Um, acai coming also from South America, quinoa coming from Bolivia. And all of these foods being picked by the native, the indigenous peoples, and then being brought to Australia and sold in Coles and Woolies. Yet we didn't have any of the foods that were native to Australia in our supermarkets. And so I started researching, and the research took me on this amazing journey. It was a three-year process. It wasn't kind of a, you know, quickly Google and find all the information because it was really hard to find. But I, what I did find was truly amazing. You know, kakadu plum is wild harvested by Indigenous Australians. It has been done so for over 70,000 years. And I'm sure that in 10 years' time, we're actually going to say in for over 100,000 years because as we're able to um, research more, they're able to identify just how long Indigenous people were, were in Australia and inhabited Australia for. Um, and so, you know, kakadu plum, for instance, is wild harvest by Indigenous Australians. It has the highest vitamin C content of any food any natural food source on earth, yet we're importing camu camu from but for its vitamin C content. And that just kind of didn't sit right for me. And that was where our goal and our mission started. And that was to increase the increase um, awareness, affordability and accessibility of Australian native produce. That's really interesting. So I think it sounds to me like um, as well as being nutrition focused, you're also somewhat of a mission-led um, business in many ways because what you're doing is much broader than just promoting local foods. It's promoting a rich history of a people um, associated with the harvesting of those foods and sort of traditional practices too. Absolutely. And I don't think you can look at um, native produce without looking at um Indigenous, Indigenous, sorry, without looking at Indigenous Australians, you know, they're our First Nations people and their culture is so, so tied and so linked to the environment, to the foods that they consumed and the reasons that they consumed those foods. And I personally, while we have spoken a lot to Indigenous people, to Indigenous elders, I don't feel comfortable in um, going into detail about their stories and about their harvesting practices because that is their story to tell. Um, and th- it's a big debate at the moment about the um, the IP surrounding um, these stories and surrounding native produce. So what we do as a business is we work really closely with Indigenous Australians. And, in fact, when we started, when our journey started, our goal was to source the native produce exclusively from Indigenous Australians. Very quickly we learnt that in, with some products, they're tightly linked to communities like kakadu plum and wattle seeds wild harvested, where other ingredients, have little connection today to the communities that they're associated with. Um, so, for instance, I remember the first Kwandong farmer that we met and we still work with today and I asked him, why, why are you growing Kwandongs? And he was like, I don't know, you know, my grandfather was growing, my father grew Kwandongs, my grandfather grew Kwandongs, so we grew Kwandongs. <laughs> and 
while that you know that has its story in itself with farmers that are that have been on the same land and been harvesting the same produce for you know for generations, um, which is really fantastic and really lovely to work with farmers like that. Um, the, the link to indigenous culture has somewhat been lost for some of these products. Yeah, and I think what you're doing to sort of uh, retell those stories and to sort of revive some of those um, supply chain elements is really important and profound. And I just wanted to make an observation that um, some of the things that are coming out of our um, Indigenous kind of harvesting, they just look incredible. Um, Sort of the look of some of these fruits, like when I, and the names of them are Kwandong, uh, really? Like, uh, you know, a Davidson plum. Um, I was uh, watching MasterChef earlier this year with my wife. I was sort of um, subject to a whole season of it. And, and to, to see in every episode how much they concentrated on um, some of these super interesting Indigenous um, foods was just really uh, impressive, overwhelming, but made me feel very uneducated about the, um, the state of that market and how we can start to bring a lot of those elements into our kind of contemporary uh, current dishes. Absolutely. And I think that the MasterChef journey has been a really interesting one to follow. You know, when I can't, I'm not exactly sure how long MasterChef's been going for, but I think it's about 10 years or so. Um, and when, when it first started, native produce didn't feature at all. And then slowly, slowly, you started seeing, you know, one episode for the whole season that bring a, a top chef like Jock Sonfrillo or Ben Shuri in who celebrate native produce in their own kitchens and they would highlight native produce. And then this season, we were actually, it was, it's really exciting because we were the um, one of the major suppliers of native produce to the MasterChef kitchen. So our ingredients were in the pantry every episode for the contestants to play with. And to see, you know, they weren't forced to use these ingredients. Like, yes, they did appear in some um, of the mystery boxes, but to see that the chefs gravitated towards native produce and the flavours and, the, the, you know, the, these guys wouldn't be looking at the nutritional benefits. They would have been looking at the flavours, the colours um, and ways that they can make traditional dishes more interesting by infusing native flavours and not, not, and I think this was um, commented, this was mentioned quite a few times with, by the judges, it wasn't tokenistic. They were using the flavours to enhance their dishes and that was really fantastic because in the past we've seen kind of a sprinkle on top of something and it's just there yeah. just to say that it's been included. You, and I think that it shows. Of, you sort of got this time to a stage where, you know, wattle seed or pepperberry or Davidson plum were the main elements of some of the dishes and you could sort of see that the contestants that were doing really well were able to really harness some of those um, exotic but really like balancing flavours and um, do, yeah. do amazingly creative things with them. Absolutely. And what we've seen um, in the last few weeks since MasterChef ended was these chefs have actually just gone on our website and purchased ingredients to use in their own home cooking or if they're, I don't know if they're (laughs) developing products themselves that might one day end up on the shelves in the supermarket. But just to kind of see these names pop up and be like, oh, they're actually buying it. You know, it's not just because it's there sitting there for free to play with, but they value the products and that they're willing to put their money behind it to incorporate it into whatever they're doing. It's really cool. And um, I just want to pick up on something you said earlier about how it's a bit ironic or strange that we will be buying like Camu Camu and an acai and some of these sort of superfood products from abroad. Um, but then, you know, we don't think much about what our native superfoods are here. And, and and like, why do you think that is? Or is that kind of just something that's um, evolved over time? Or it, it seems like a strange state of play to not be aware of your own superfoods and be really tapping into that first? Yeah. Um, look, I think that this, this topic can become a very controversial topic. Um, if you look at the way that 
in New Zealand that they um, embraced the Maori traditions and today, the Ma- you know, so much of the Maori culture is a part of a New Zealander's life and in so many ways. And I think that that is to do with many things and I think that that in Australia is a, a dark part of our history and one that, um, you know, if we could, if most Australians could change, we would go back, you know, and change and, and try to repent and try and do anything that we can to make it better because the atrocities that the Indigenous people of Australia faced, um, you know, you, you look back in history and there aren't many times that people have had to overcome situations like that. And I think that that was also why Indigenous culture, Indigenous foods weren't celebrated. Um, in the way that they are now and, you know, as our culture changes and our culture acknowledges our Indigenous people and celebrates our in- Indigenous people, their cultures, their traditions, we're going to see more, um, more, of, more of that being celebrated and including the foods that they eat. So that's really awesome to hear. And, um, I mean, the positive side is that now uh, these foods are being really championed by you and others and um, on TV and in the media. What does this do for Aboriginal people who are sort of, um, you know, really should be the main beneficiaries of this work? So at the Australian Superfood Co, we work with Indigenous people in a number of ways. Um, first and foremost, we source native produce wherever we can from Indigenous people first. So if it's a product like wattle seed where you might there might be Indigenous people wild harvesting wattle seed, there might be non-Indigenous people wild harvesting or cultivating wattle seed and Indigenous people cultivating wattle seed as well, um, we'll, we'll, attempt, we'll always source first and foremost from the Indigenous people and then we will um, go back in the supply chain to make sure that we can secure the supply because that's been a major challenge that we've had to overcome um, since our inception. And... Um, so that's that's one element. Another element that's linked to communities and sourcing produce is that we um, always keep the conversations open with Indigenous people of how we can acknowledge Indigenous people, their practices, their wild, wild harvesting techniques, um, and at the, at the same time to make sure that they're, they're, they're getting the information they need. We're supporting them as best we can um, in, the sourcing, in the sourcing stages. We also work really closely with Red Dust Role Models, which is a not-for-profit organisation. Um, have you heard of them before? You're nodding your head. Yes, like you have. I have heard of Red Dust before. Um, I don't know um, a huge amount about what they do, but I know that they're very active, um, you know, organisations supporting Aboriginal people. Yeah, yeah they're, they're a really fantastic organisation and it's why we've um, tied ourselves so, so closely with them. They are a not-for-profit. They're based here in Melbourne and they also have um, leaders based in the Northern Territory and they go into community um, taking celebrities, so it might be like, you know, a sports model, a sports role model or um, someone from um, a, a, a cooking TV show or a comedian, the com- a number of comedians are linked to these communities as well. Um, and they go in and they focus on issues within the community. So they tend to be um, around health promotion initiatives but and it started focusing on kids, so going to schools, trying to increase attendance at schools, talking about healthy foods, um, and then it's gone out now to that they've got sectors that um, focus on women's health, men's health, and it gives women and men separately a chance to talk about the challenges that they're facing um, in life and to try and overcome it, overcome those challenges. So we give back to Red Dust financially. So every year we give back, um, we, we um, donate money, but then we also work with them to try and increase awareness around around what they're trying to do. So at the moment we have a cooking competition. So for the next four months or the remainder of the year, we have a, a chef. So we've um, reached out to a number of the chefs that are working with Native Produce and it, and you can go on to, um, we, we supply a recipe, you go on to 
our social media, their social media, cook the recipe, whoever whoever supplies the best image of that recipe wins a prize at the end of the month and that will go um, at the end of the year to a larger competition. That's amazing. Um, I, I feel like you're doing a, a huge um, body of work to improve the plight of Aboriginal people and support them, but it would kind of be remiss of me not to ask about how you feel kind of as a as a leader in this space, sort of working with Aboriginal products, um, selling Aboriginal products, but not being Aboriginal. Is that something that you kind of grappled with a little bit about, you know, um, is, it, is it kind of okay to kind of do this or, you know, what do I need to, what do I need to do to sort of feel okay about um, you know, uh, being an important part of the supply chain, but not being sort of fully Indigenous yourself as sort of a leader of an organisation? I think that everything that we try to do within our organisation is to better the current situation. So we we started focusing on produce. So our business itself is around native um, Australian produce and increasing awareness, affordability and accessibility of native Australian produce. The work that we're doing along the way um, it, it is very meaningful and it is having a significant impact on the individuals that are involved. So, for instance, we've mentioned kakadu plum. Our kakadu plum sourcing, so we source our kakadu plum almost exclusively from Indigenous Australians. It's giving seasonal employment to over 600 Indigenous Australians and that has a follow-on effect. So the women come to work, it's often through the women's centres, the women come to work or the families come to work, but in order for them to pick for the community, their kids have to be at school in school. So that that is also a big shift in within the community that the that the parents are at work, the kids are in school. And then in addition to that, on the weekends, they all go out harvesting, wild harvesting together because they're being paid per kilo of fruit. So it's in that they want to they want to source more, but then it also gives the elders an opportunity to educate the younger people about the fruit itself, about how they harvest it, about other elements within the environment that might be important to them. That's a terrific answer and thanks for um, explaining that. It's really valuable to hear. Do, do you kind of think, you know, because you kind of bought, because you do so much in the space, I guess sometimes things will come up where maybe you feel like, should we be in an advocacy mode here or should we be communicating about, um, you know, essentially uh, topics to do with Aboriginal people? Do you kind of find yourself in situations often where that might be the case and how do you kind of approach each uh, thing as it comes up as a business? As a business, so we, we've had a number of discussions about this. As a business, we see ourselves, our role is to promote native produce, to promote the people that we're working with in a positive light um, and to promote the positive work that, that's going on there and the, the businesses that we're working with, et cetera, et cetera. We stay apolitical um, as a business. Then I have my own voice, but I speak that as Hayley Bleeden, who happens to be the founder of the Australian Superfood Co., um, but is not necessarily the voice of the company. Very Does that cool. make sense? A lot of sense. And I think it's really interesting that you have thought through that and you do have something in place to kind of help you deal with that because I can imagine that you don't want to be in a position where you're speaking on behalf of another people. That may exactly. be appropriate, but you do have every right in a sense because you're working so closely with people to sort of, you know, you want to advocate where possible. So that's a great Yeah, answer. and I advocate and, I, you know, I promote my views and how I feel and change that I think needs to be um, to be um, put in place. But at the same time, I never and I never will pretend that I speak for the Indigenous people of Australia. I'm not Indigenous and I they have their own voices and I will, we work together and we, 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 we communicate often to try and 
make what we're doing at the Australian Superfood Co work more efficiently and help to tell the story. But we don't speak for any, not one Indigenous person do we speak for. Let me ask you about um, bringing your dad into the business because I'm super interested in what that would be like. Sort of, I, I often think about what it'd be like working with my parents on a business and uh, your dad going from mentor to sort of partner. I'm, I'm keen for you to talk a bit about that. Yeah. So um, when I first went to dad with the business concept, he was really supportive. And I look back now, you know, five years later, well, it's actually probably eight years later that we I first had the discussion with him. And I just think like, how how incredible is he? How incredible is he that he heard the idea and just kind of was like, I'm all I'm all in to support you in the however you want. I don't think he probably ever thought it would get to the state the stage that it is today. Um, but he supported me in every step. He introduced me to, you know, to branding agencies or branding individuals just to kind of have conversations because I'd never done anything like this before. He um supported me along the way coming to coming to those first meetings with me and I still remember we had a meeting with the contract manufacturer and I was so nervous for this meeting (laughs) like I'm taking business to them yet I was sitting there thinking oh my god I have to prove myself I have to prove that I'm not just a 27 year old girl sitting there with no idea of what I was doing and no (laughs) business experience and that was fantastic and as the business has grown his day-to-day involvement in the business has increased dramatically um, where then he was just kind of a mentor and a sounding block. Now he is really involved in all big decision making. I think he'd like to. He'd prefer to go back to a kind of a, a bit of a director um, role where he just he, he looks over the big picture items. But today he's he does a lot of the legal um, the legal work because he's got a background. He's a lawyer in a previous life in a previous previous life. Um, he all big decisions we discuss and um, it's really because we're a small team there are about seven of us um, and all big decisions are kind of discussed with all of us um, because in a small team you don't just you're not just a you know accounts so you're not just finance you're part of this little team and everyone's pulling their weight um, and doing their part and you know from from product development where we all sit around and taste new products to um, social media input and watching MasterChef and whenever we appeared on MasterChef, kind of taking screenshots and sending it to the whole team. <laughs> so, yeah, it's a fun environment to be in and it's a, it's a close-knit team. We've been working together as a team for quite a while now. So it's every win is huge and every low is felt by everybody. Well said. Let me ask you about your new product discovery process or testing process. I mean, first of all, there must be just thousands of species of interesting foods that we don't know about um, yet. Do you have kind of a sense of that, first of all? And then sort of maybe as a part two of that, how do you go about kind of discovering new superfoods and then trying to bring them to market? Absolutely. And I think that when we, so there are over 5,500 native products out there, um, edible products. So I, when we first launched, we, I had to identify what what was available in commercial quantities. So, the journey that we went on—I don't know if you're if you're aware of this—but we actually started off selling snack bars, which were infused with native Australian produce. And the feedback from the snack bars was fantastic. The sell-through rate rate wasn't so fantastic. <laughs> so we quickly learned that people were interested in native produce, not so much in another snack bar where, which was saturated and it still is such a saturated market. It's mm. a, a um, very interesting test case, actually. Yeah, it, you know, it, it was a huge lesson for me in business, which is don't necessarily produce what you think is best to bring out. Speak to your customers, identify wh- wh- what their needs are, what their wants are. And having those conversations led us to identify, and I know I've gone completely off topic. <laughs> um, That's all right. But 
uh, we so speaking to your, speaking to your customers and identifying what their needs are. And what we found out was that there was a lack of consistent supply and a lack of consistency of product. So chefs would put a product on their menu and then a month later they couldn't source it or they could source it, but it was nothing like what they sourced the month before. Um, and so that's why we started processing products. And so now we're, we're a native ingredient supplier to food and beverage manufacturers and to food service. And so how do we come, and this is answering your question, how do we identify what products um, we want to bring to market or what products first and foremost it comes down to supply is there enough of that product out there and for some products there aren't and that's why we now and and that was that kind of killed us every time we'd taste this delicious product and then realize we could only source x kilos of it and so that's why we launched our limited edition range we recognize that there is a portion of the market that wants something new and exciting they want something delicious and they don't really care if they can only get a little bit of it they'll put it on a specials menu and then it'll be gone the next week when supply is gone um, but then we have our core range, which we can source in large quantities um, and which we work actively with farmers to develop that supply chain so that um, we can guarantee that if a customer gets a product into the majors, that we're not going to run out before the season's over or that we're going to have sufficient supply throughout the year when the season is over. That's really cool. Um, very well said. Look, it would be remiss of me not to ask you, what is your favourite uh, Aboriginal superfood and what do you like to cook with at home? So that comes down to three. I tend to cook often with mountain pepper leaf. It is, just works so well. Like we, we cook a lot of Italian food and it works so well in spag bowls, in lasagnas. It just kind of sprinkles really easily into everything, just like an oregano would. Um my favourite, though, hands down, and the one I seem to always recommend to everybody is Davidson Plum. It's it's that beautiful, rich red one that you saw on MasterChef. It's got a beautiful colour. The flavour is amazingly acidic so that when you add it into any dessert or into a smoothie that's quite sweet naturally, it'll, it'll bring this delicious tart flavour through. Um, but then for health and wellbeing, you can't go past Kakadu Plum, and I think that that's one that the market's really um, embracing at the moment for the cultural story and for the nutritional value as well, you know, especially in these times where we're constantly trying to boost our immunity, um, having a high intake of vitamin C has been proven to reduce the severity of colds and flus. And so it, it's a simple, natural way to sprinkle into anything. It has not much flavour. It's quite a mild flavour. Um, so it's really easy to use and easy for kids, you know, a natural vitamin C source for kids. Yeah, that's really well said. And so um, like if you had to identify other than Kakadu Plum, maybe if we could round out like a top three, what would your other two favourite products be from a, like a health benefits perspective, like the most um, like substantiated or like um, potential health benefits? Davidson Plum has had a lot of research on it lately. Um, that It's very high in anthocyanins and that's an, anti an antioxidant which has been proven to help with heart health with metabolic syndrome. So I think that that's one kind of watch this space as this research kind of evolves. Um, wattle seed is fantastic as well. Wattle seed's been grown in Africa since the 70s to feed starving populations. And it's, low, it's a low GI, high protein, high fibre product. So people are incorporating it in cookies, in breads to boost the fibre content, to reduce the GI. Um, and, and it's one that grows really well in, in um, deserts. So you don't need much water to grow it. But the, the harvesting conditions are really harsh. And I think that that's something that people should also remember about Kakadu Plum. When, it's, when a product is wild harvested, people are going out often in 47 degree heat 
and hand harvesting products. And that's something that we constantly have conversations with with the communities that we work with is how can we make this easier for you to harvest? That's cool. And do you think that, I mean, is part of the reason some of these uh, fruits and products so healthy and interesting and, you know, beneficial, is part of that just the difficult environments that they have to thrive and grow in? Like, could it, could it have to do with the, the you know, ridiculously hot temperatures, uh, the seasonality, um, you know, maybe some of these factors at play? Absolutely. And that's something that we found with our research is that many of these products have antioxidant compositions that have never been seen in products before. And they have lipophilic and hydrophilic, so water-loving and water-hating properties, which help them to survive the harsh conditions and improve the nutritional composition. It's awesome. And so tell me, what are you most excited about that's coming up for Australian superfoods, either by way of product that you might want to give a snippet of, or maybe it's a uh, program or something that you're doing more generally with the organisation? Um, well, I'll give you, I'll, I'll talk about two things. So we work very closely with our suppliers, and then we also work very closely with our customers. So supplying ingredients to food and beverage manufacturers. So we kind of know a year in advance what people are looking at and what, what will be on the supermarket shelves in a year's time. And that's really exciting because we have always wanted to make Australia, we wanted to see Australian natives next, we want to see cinnamon myrtle next to cinnamon in the spice aisle. And that's something that we're slowly, you know, not yet at that to that point, seeing them in the spice aisles with individual spices, which I have no doubt we will one day see. But seeing products as you walk down the supermarket aisles, seeing native produce being incorporated into cookies, into kombuchas, chocolates, drinks, um, is really exciting. On the other hand, we're just about to launch, we've done a bit of a soft launch of the Native Harvest Initiative, which has come about due to the lack of supply of natives. So we recognise that as demand has increased, the supply chain is going to eventually not be able to meet that demand. And we're not quite there yet, but we certainly are getting there. And so the Native Harvest Initiative is working with Indigenous communities, with Farm with farmers that are currently farming native produce and farmers that are not currently native harvesting native produce. So with Indigenous communities, we're encouraging them to harvest more and discussing potentially um, moving their model to cultivation. With farmers that are harvesting native produce, we are um, discussing harvesting more because we guarantee that we'll take their supply so that um, mitigating their risk because I think that many of these farmers have been burnt in the past. And then the third is working with farmers that are currently harvesting non-native produce to diversify or repurpose their farms to harvesting native produce. And that's obviously the most challenging, kind of rocking up with very limited agricultural experience and saying, hey, let's flip your farm. But we offer the services and we work with um, professionals, so with agronomists, with with botanists and propagators to to, um, provide those services as well. So we're not just coming in and saying, do it yourselves. We're coming in and saying, we'll help you do this because it's probably something you've never thought about before. Um, One such example is a farmer that we are working with um, in South Australia and his grandfather there actually happened to be Indigenous, which is you know, a really great part of this story, but they um, farmed um, spring onions for the majors and the grandfather wanted to retire and his grandson said that he wanted to take over the farm, but he didn't want to farm um, spring onions anymore. And so he has flipped his entire farm to farming native produce and we're working with them as their exclusive um, customer um, to to discuss what we need, what we see, how we see the market evolving that they that they can... Um, that they can grow what is actually needed and how we can we can 
push that. As we know that the supply is coming in, we can actually push that and increase the demand um, in the market. That's amazing. Sounds really incredible. Hey, uh, listen, it's been amazing learning about all the great stuff that you're doing. If people want to connect with you and learn more about your work, how can they best do so? You can go to our website, which is ostsuperfoods.com.au um, or follow us on our socials with our handle at ostsuperfoods. Thanks so much for being with me. Stick around. We'll have a quick debrief. And uh, otherwise, thanks for joining. Beautiful. Thanks a lot for having me, Mark. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you hit the subscribe button in your podcast player or the link in today's episode notes. Why not share the podcast with your networks? After all, 62% of our subscribers come from word of mouth recommendations and social shares. You could also leave us a five-star review and some kind words in the iTunes store. If you love what we do each week and want to support the show, you should join our growing community of Patreon supporters or consider becoming a show sponsor. To learn more about all of that, just head to humansofpurpose.com.